series covering our ministry vision and ministry philosophy. So we're calling it the why and how of what we do. Colossians chapter 4. Let me pray briefly and then Tiffany is going to read our passage for us. Father, thank you so very much for this time, how you've been meeting us already. Meet us again in your word, we ask you, and for your glory. Amen. Today's reading is from Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tiffany. Recently, a British Airways jet was bound from London to Dusseldorf, Germany, when the passengers on that flight were met with a surprise. Instead of landing in Germany, their plane touched down in Edinburgh, Scotland, by mistake. How'd you like to be that pilot explaining that one? The captain did apologize to the passengers, the plane refueled, and they headed off to Germany and finally landed in Dusseldorf. It seems the error happened because the flight plan had been incorrectly filed. Now, I don't know what that means exactly, but I suppose apparently someone mistakenly typed into the computer destination Edinburgh when it's supposed to be destination Dusseldorf, and so off they went to Scotland instead of Germany. A simple lesson, begin with the wrong destination and you're bound to head off in the wrong direction. Destination shapes direction, doesn't it? Destination inevitably shapes direction. Where you're going inevitably shapes how you seek to get there. That's true of airplanes, and it's true of churches as well. It's true of churches. We must, we must be clear on our intended destination, our God-given destination, that we might be clear on how to pursue that destination appropriately. We want to be clear on destination such that we are clear on direction, and that's what this little series is about. The, the why, destination, and the how, direction of what we seek to do. Let me explain further. Our, our why is really our, our vision, which we describe as glorifying God as a gospel-centered or Jesus-centered community of people on a gospel-centered or Jesus-centered mission. That's, that's why we exist. These three purposes God has given the church, an upward purpose of ministry to God, you might say, an inward purpose of ministry to each other, and an outward purpose of ministry to this world, especially those who are yet to know Christ. That's our destination. That's the flight plan God has filed for us. 
in His Word. And that destination, friends, that shapes our direction. That ministry destination shapes our ministry philosophy. And that's especially what we want to talk about these three weeks. Having that destination in mind and how that shapes our philosophy of ministry, what we seek to do. So here's, here's a high-level, 30,000-foot look at our ministry philosophy. We seek to gather for worship right now. We seek to gather for community, especially in our small groups. And then we scatter, you might say, for mission in all the places where God has placed us. That's a high-level view of our philosophy of ministry. We gather for worship. We gather for community. We scatter, you might say, for mission. And we're going to take one week on each of those elements to keep our direction and our destination in mind. This week, I want to talk about that scattering for mission. We're going to do it backwards. I'm going to begin with the scattering part. Since Dave talked about mission to the nations last week, I thought, let's talk about mission locally this week. I'd like to draw with you two principles from the passage that was read. Two principles for our mission as we scatter, you might say, right here. Here's the first principle. Our mission begins with prayer. Our mission right here begins with prayer. The Apostle Paul begins in verse 2 saying, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Lots we could say about that. But then he moves from that general exhortation to a specific request in verse 3. Notice verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us, he says, that God may notice, open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He's really asking for two things there, two related things, an open door and clear words. An open door for the message, the mystery of Christ, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, and clear words to share that gospel because he's in prison in Rome. So he wants these believers in Jesus in a city called Colossae to, to ask God to give Paul an opportunity to share that message and clear words to do so. Open doors and clear words. Now, what I hope happens for me and for you is that we transfer those prayer requests to our own prayer lives. What I hope happens for me and you is that we transfer those two things that he asked for prayer about open doors and clear words, that you and I transfer that to our own lives of prayer. And I'll give you an idea on how to do that a little later. But I want to think about, I want to think about how this request should encourage us. You see, this is not, it's not just the Apostle Paul feeling his need and so asking his friends in the Colossian church for prayer because behind that small A author, the Apostle Paul, stands the big A author, the capital A author, God himself. And this is preserved in Holy Scripture for us too. So given the inspiration of Scripture, given the God-breathed nature of Scripture, 
verse 3 is, is ultimately God telling the Colossians to pray to God for God to work in God's mission. <laughs> it's kind of God saying, pray to me so that I would work in my mission, open doors and give clear words. I mean, doesn't that mean at a minimum God wants to answer these requests? These are requests preserved by God for God's people to pray. It's kind of like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus is going through the villages and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the saving reign of King Jesus. And at one point, he sees the crowds, he has compassion on the crowds, and he, he says this to the disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, if you think about it, that's a pretty strange command. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, laborers, into his harvest. I like how John Piper has developed this. He said, the Lord of the harvest is the, the owner of the farm, and he has some grain ripening some grain ripening in La Mesa, in Santee, in Spring Valley, and all across San Diego, El Cajon. And this owner of the farm, he, he knows farming. He's a, he's a genius in farming. He has, he has total power over the harvest. And we're just his farmhands. We're just workers in the field. We just do what we're told. And yet one day, the son of the farmer comes out to us in our servants' quarters, and he says, go and tell my father that we need more hands for the harvest. What would you say to that? You'd say, he knows we need more hands. He's the owner of the farm. He knows everything about farming. He knows all about the harvest. But the son would say to us, go to my father, tell him you need more hands. You don't need to understand this. I'm telling you, my father wants you to ask him to send more hands into his harvest. And so we go and we say, all right, Mr. Farmer, owner of the farm, Lord of the harvest, we need more hands. We need more laborers for your harvest. Now that's kind of strange. It is, as Blaise Pascal put it, God lending us the dignity of causality. Does that help? Not very much. It means that prayer is an invitation to get in on what God is doing. That's how you could think of this verse. Prayer is an invitation from the king of the universe to join us, join him rather, join him in what he is doing in the earth because, friends, he is willing and able to answer 
this prayer. He's willing and able to open doors around you for the mystery of Christ as you ask Him. He's willing and able to give you clear words. I know I need that. Boldness and clear words to share this good news as you ask Him. So friends, believe this with me and transfer this request first to your own prayer life. God is, God is filing our flight plan, isn't He? He's depicting our destination for us. And it includes this outward mission of the gospel. And we begin with prayer. We must begin with prayer. Open the door, Lord of the harvest. Grant us clear words and grant conversions. Grant a harvest right here. But there's a second principle I really want to land on. Here's principle number two, our mission our mission is seized in everyday life. And this is where we get to that, that scatter part of our, mission philosophy, our ministry philosophy. Our mission, you might say, it's, it's seized in, in everyday life. Notice verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So now he transitions. Pray for me for this mission, and now I'm going to speak to you, Colossians, about your mission. You all walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, in verse 6, he gives a key for doing that. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. Now, I can't spend much time on verse 6. I wish I could. Here's my summary. Seek to win people more than you seek to win arguments. You need to present arguments, I get that. But the goal is not to best somebody in a debate. The goal is to woo them to Christ. But I want to focus on verse 5. Think about verse 5 with me. Because we can think today, the culture is just too far gone for this outward mission of Jesus. The culture is just too far gone to be open to this mystery of Christ. My, my neighbors are just too closed. My co-workers too hostile. My classmates too indifferent. It's time to hunker down and just ride out the storm as best we can. But catch what God is saying to this early church. And these people were a small minority living in a hostile culture. Okay? They were the marginalized. Friends, Christians being marginalized is nothing new. If you're upset about that, I understand, but just track with me. It's as old as the church. Okay? Christians being marginalized is nothing new. These folks were the outcast, the misunderstood, the unwelcome, just like today. And yet in verse 5, God says to them, conduct yourself with wisdom toward those outside the faith. And notice the next phrase, making the best use of the time. Now, what does that mean? Is that a call to effective time management? You know, get out your day planner, 
sync up your Google Calendar, define your roles and goals, all that's good. But is that a call to effective time management? No. No, it's not. It's about seeing your life a certain way. It's about seeing your life, friends, as being lived out in a unique period of time. The time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ in particular. This time between the first coming of Christ and the, the second coming of Christ, it's a unique time of, of gospel opportunity, gospel proclamation. So what the apostle seems to have in mind is making the best use of this time right now for that good news. Now apply that to your life. The implication is every day in your workplace, every day in your neighborhood, every day on your campus, wherever you find yourself scattered Monday through Saturday, all of it is being lived out in this unique period of time, this unique time of, of gospel opportunity. In fact, you could translate this phrase, buy up the time, or buying up the time, or redeeming the time. Commentator P.T. O'Brien says what is described here is, quote, an intensive activity, an intensive activity, a buying which exhausts the possibilities. It's, it's imagery from the marketplace, from the shopping mall for us. It's, it's snapping up every opportunity God presents for the good news. It's, it's Black Friday shopping, right? It's doorbuster deals for mission. That's what he has in mind. As we scatter throughout the week, God is saying, snap up those opportunities as I use you right where I've placed you. It should build our faith. I, I imagined it like, like those virtual reality goggles. Have you ever seen those? If you go to the Microsoft store at the mall, you'll see them. Virtual reality goggles. You put these goggles on and you see everything differently, right? You see all kinds of different stuff in front of you. Think of this verse like real reality goggles, <laughs> biblical reality goggles. God wants to use me in his mission, in this unique opportunity. He gives opportunities for me to buy up as he works through me for his glory. Put those goggles on, friends. That's not virtual reality. That's, that's biblical reality. To see your life Monday through Saturday through those lenses, God wants to use you. Let it build your faith. Isn't it, isn't it how Jesus thought during his earthly ministry? I realize God the Son had a unique life on earth. I get that. But think about his own example here. Think about Jesus traveling through Samaria, land of the hated Samaritans. And the disciples go into town to get food, and Jesus is thirsty. He's by a well. It's kind of a mundane moment. You're thirsty. You're just thirsty. It's, it's mundane. It's everyday. It's boring. When along comes a woman an outcast woman with a checkered past, a bad reputation. Now you'd think walking in wisdom toward outsiders might mean staying away from people like that. Right? Keep, keep those people 
with a checkered past. Keep them at, at arm's length. Keep those people who are indulging their sin and living an alternative lifestyle, let's call it. Keep them away from you. That would seem like walking in wisdom, but not to Jesus. He doesn't see outcast. He sees opportunity. And you might know the story. He seeks to buy up the opportunity by engaging her in conversation, offering her living water, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, which he alone can give. She comes to realize, of course, that he is the Messiah. My point is, friends, it was, it was normal life. It was everyday life, hanging out by the well, but not to Jesus. This is how he calls his people to live. In fact, he says something very interesting when the disciples return. And they are surprised that Jesus is talking to this woman. And he says in John 4, verse 35, lift up your eyes. Put on the goggles. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. God wants to use you. And I'm saying that's what Colossians 4 is saying to you and me right now. Lift up your eyes, friends. Monday through Saturday. And all those places where God has put you. And see the fields are white for harvest. I was talking to Karen Martin yesterday. Karen is in the hospital for an emergency appendectomy. She's recovering well, thankfully. She said, pray for me. Pray for me because I'm getting opportunities to reflect the love of God to people and tell them about God meeting me and sustaining me. She's got the goggles on. I've had these conversations with Fred Powell as well. He's just wearing these goggles all the time. I, I think of my wife. She's an example to me in this way and many other ways. We like to begin our, our Mondays, my day off, by drop the kids off at school and then we go lap swimming together. That's how we start our date day. Some lap swimming is very romantic. <laughs> and there are many, many times when I am in the water, I'm starting to swim, I'm going back and forth, wondering, where is my wife? What happened to my wife? I hope she's okay. I don't see my wife. And then she'll eventually come out and she'll say, well, I was talking to so-and-so in the locker room and this was happening in her life and so I prayed for her and I got to share Jesus with her and her and her. And she's got the goggles on. Now, I, I am not the evangelist she is. I'd like to be. I, I think I'm more of an inviter. I like to invite people. So I, I carry these, these invitations for our church in my wallet. And you have one in your bulletin. And they're back in the back every Sunday, friends. It just says, come join us Sundays, 10 a.m. And I carry it with me in my wallet because... As I'm scattered throughout the week, scattered in different places, God gives me opportunity to say, hey, come to church sometime. You know why I do that? I'm not a great evangelist like she is or others of you, but I can invite them to some place where they'll hear the good news. You can too. God has scattered you. Put on the goggles. He wants to use you. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. You're in a unique season, challenging season. Put on these lenses. I'm sure you, you take your kid to the park or something like that. You might invite a neighbor to go with you. 
or have your eyes open for those who are at the park already. You might go to the store, you might go running errands, and there are these people all around you who don't know the Savior. God might open a door. He might give you clear words. He might give you a chance to invite or what have you. For those who work outside the home or go to school, right there, the workplace, the classroom, that can be a place of opportunity to buy up Look for the bargains. It's a place of Godward vocation, absolutely. Godward calling, not minimizing that. But I am saying see all those places as places that the Lord of Harvest has dropped you sovereignly as an ambassador for Jesus. And put on these goggles and see how he might use you to make the best use of the time to redeem the time, to, to buy it up. And maybe he'll give you an open door with that coworker and give you clear words to share. I want to close by giving you some practical thoughts. Not only do you have an invitation, you have a, an index card in your bulletin. And there's a reason for that. It's a blank index card. I'm going to write on my card. I want to ask you to do the same when you have a chance. I'm going to write on my card. At the top, I'm going to write, pray for open doors and clear words. So that's on my card because I need that reminder, believe me. And then later on, I'm going to write at least one name of someone that I know that I want to pray for that God would give me an open door with. Maybe I'll write a few names. I want to ask you if you would do the same. I think the, the irreducible minimum for us, right, is pray for at least one person. One person in your network of relationships. One person you see in your workplace, on your campus, in your neighborhood. And put this card in your Bible so that you are regularly reminded to pray and ask God for an open door right there and clear words and a chance to see this person come to know the King of Kings and His great love. Friends, that's our destination. That's where we want to, in part, land this plane, being an outward people, and that's how we seek to get there. We, we scatter for mission, you might say. But let me remind you of the privilege of doing so. You see, the good news in Colossians, the good news in this book, is that Christ is exalted, that Christ is supreme, that Christ is head over all, Colossians chapter 1. And the good news in Colossians is that God has made all who believe alive with Jesus, forgiving our trespasses. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, nailing it to the cross, Colossians chapter 2. And it's the good news of being united to the risen Jesus such that now our lives are hidden with God in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Colossians chapter 3. This is the good news 
we proclaim in Colossians chapter 4. And the good news we want to celebrate as we close by taking the Lord's Supper. So with the music team, please come.